everyone. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Welcome back to Matan's One-on-One Podcast. If you would like to sponsor a podcast episode in honor or in memory of a loved one, please contact the Matan office via telephone or email us at podcast at matan.org.il. Each week we spend 30 minutes speaking about a seminal figure or idea in that week's Parsha. Today I have the pleasure of sitting down with Matan graduate and beloved lecturer, Rabbanit Shani Terrigan, to speak about Parshat Vayikra and how it introduces the concept of Kedusha. Shani, it's great to have you here. It is truly a wonderful privilege and pleasure to be here with you, Yosef. So I want to just begin with a short summary of this week's Parsha, uh, which delves into different types of sacrifices. Uh, each of these sacrifices can be brought in different variations, different animals or birds, and some of them even in accordance with the economic means of the individual bringing them. Uh, some of the sacrifices are the ola, which can be called a burnt offering, the mincha, which is a meal offering, or what I would say is the vegan option. Uh, we have the shlamim, which is translated as a peace offering. The chatat is a purification offering. Uh, often we call it a sin offering, but there I'm going with Jacob Milgram's uh, interpretation. And uh, and the asham, uh, which could be called a trespass offering. These are all imperfect translations, uh, but all of them have different functions, some of which we might touch upon today. But Shani, I'd love to hear what you've come to speak with us about. Thank you. So this is one of my, I guess you can say, favorite topics, partially because it's somewhat neglected. And on a basic pedagogic level, Sefer Bayikra introduces a concept that even as teachers, we have a difficult time defining. So as students will go through their entire Torah educational career, learning about Kedusha, learning and using, employing the terminology in many different contexts without ever really defining it. And that's really the wonder and the beauty of Sefer Vayikra. I, whenever I go around and, and I introduce the Sefer, the first question I ask people is exactly as you introduced. What do you think Sefer Vayikra is about? And as you can imagine, they all answer sacrifices, sacrifices, that it's about sacrifices. So it's not that it's not about sacrifices, but it's about sacrifices and sanctity. And truth be told, this week's Parsha, albeit it's replete with sacrifices, and the first seven chapters really are focused on sacrifices, the rest of Sefer Vayikra isn't. And therefore, looking at the Parsha, we should already have a broader view, as we know, looking at a Sefer in context, to try to appreciate even this particular Torah reading, it really is imperative that we have a view of the entire Sefer. So uh, the next question I always ask students is, so can anyone define the broader understanding of the Sefer, which really is about Kedusha. So I'll get all different answers. Sanctity, and I smile because if you look up sanctity in a, in a dictionary, we'll say, see holiness. So I'm very excited. I'm finally going to see a definition, and then I open up holiness, and what do you think it says? See sanctity? Exactly. <laughs> it's very frustrating. And uh, others who associate it, based on Rashi, with a Prushim and Harayot, with separation, and others who see it as elevated, others who sometimes have an association, whether it be of Shabbos candles or Beta Mikdash, right, with a word of Kedusha or a mikveh, and all different interesting associations that are very true, and I'll even say contextually correct associations that they have, but once again, not a clear definition. So in order to alleviate all of our anxieties, and perhaps even looking back at our Jewish education and everything invested in it, I always say not to worry, because Am Yisrael also 
don't know what Kedusha is at this point, especially because if I look back at the very beginning of the Torah, the first time that Kedusha is mentioned is in Sefer Breshit, Parsha Breshit, Perek Bet, Vayichulu HaShamayim Ba'aretz Bachotz Ba'am, Vayichal Elokim Ba'yom HaShvi'im, Malach Tov Asher Asa, Vayivarech Elokim Et Yom HaShvi'i, Vayikadishoto. We see and we learn already from the first time that it appears, and this is something that we know, Nechem Malevowitz always pedagogically paid attention to, Go back to the first time. Try to understand how this concept is going to develop in the Chumash. And the Kedusha then, stemming from God, automatically becomes a divine word. As a matter of fact, it's going to be linked in all religions to a divine definition. The source, even, of godliness is linked to Kedusha. Only God can really, at least this is how the Torah presents it in the first time, can create this sanctity, can create whatever this Kedusha is. Now, what did that mean for Adam HaRishon? Does he understand what Kedusha is? Does he does he keep Shabbat, Lametet Malachot? Meaning we don't know. All we know as the omniscient narrator, you know, HaKadosh Baruch tells us is you should know that Hashem sanctified, Hashem infused time with this amorphous concept of Kedusha. The next time we find it is the beginning of Sefer Shmot by Moshe Rabbeinu. At the snare, So now we have Adama, that's Kodesh. And I always wonder, did Moshe start thinking, oh, what is this term, Kedusha? And he probably is as frightened as ever and definitely removes his sandals. But this term of Kedusha still remains very ambiguous and unknown to him as well. And we once again learn that Hashem is the source of Kedusha not only infusing the physical dimension of time, but also the physical dimension of space, which now we appreciate when we get to the next time that Kedusha is mentioned, firstly in an active form, right after Yetziat Mitzrayim, Kadesh Likobachor, but all the more so prior to Mamad Harsinai, Hashem stating explicitly that part of the expression of the Brit of a covenantal relationship with Hashem is Vatem Tiuli, Mamlechet Koanim Begoi Kadosh. And now we see that God also infuses people with Kedusha. So the common denominator is that Hashem is the source of this Kedusha, and it can be, or Hashem chooses to infuse it within the physical dimensions of time and space and people. Which brings us back already to Briata Olam, the idea of the transcendence of God now having a space within the imminent dimensions of this world. But well, once again, Am Yisrael don't really know what this is. So Hashem says right after Mamat Harsinai, as the Ramban posits the continuation, the ongoing revelation of Mamat Harsinai, not only attempt Yuli Mamlachikoni Begoy Kadosh, but now Vasuli Mikdash Vishachanti Betocham. Isn't that interesting that the very first mitzvah that were given after Mamat Harsinai is create a Mikdash? And the Ramban explains the sod of this idea, the secret behind it is to ensure that there is going to be an ongoing revelation, that we understand that theophany is another expression of the redemption of Yetziat Mitzrayim, and that part of becoming Avadim Takadosh Baruch, as opposed to being slaves to Taparo in Egypt, means that now there's going to be a relationship manifest through a Mikdash. Now, again, what does that mean? A Mikdash is technically a Makom of Kedusha. So here, Hashem is basically telling Am Yisrael this uh, concept of Kedusha that you've heard about, especially with regard to our relationship, it's going to be manifest in this Mikdash. And as we know, a very Platonic idea as well, the fact that we're very physical beings. We need 
We need illustrations. We need symbols. So many of our mitzvot that we relate to through these symbols. Hashem says, now you're going to have a three-dimensional building that you're going to relate to through which you're going to learn the concept of Kedusha, which makes so much sense. Because really, what is this Mikdash? And you're familiar with the Midrashim and the Parshanim who explain that so many of the terminology that we see at the end of Sefer Shemot and at the beginning of Vayikra reminds us of the same verbs that were employed in Briyata Olam. Yeah, we spoke about that in, in a previous podcast. And also the Mikdash is a place that takes the space, the space, the time. place, time, and people and embodies them all in one building. Excellent. And mm-hmm. infuses it with Kedusha. And this is the greatest... You still don't know what it is. Exactly. Still <laughs> don't know what it is, which, especially if it's a divine term, how do you teach an amorphous, philosophical, divine concept and of how God? how do you then have people... Are people now also charged with creating this concept in the world? Excellent. So not at the beginning. Mm-hmm. How are you charged to be responsible for Kedusha when you don't even know what it is? Mm-hmm. So stage number one is God is going to teach us. And that really is the beginning of Sefer Vayikra and Parshat Vayikra. Hashem basically says, Adam mikem. It doesn't even start with Torah Kohanim. It doesn't start with those that are going to be spending most of their time in the Mikdash. It starts with Hashem explaining, if you want to understand what Kedusha is, not only with regard to at this amorphous divine concept, but something that you're going to relate to, then you have to get close to the Mikdash. You have to come. Right? You have to be aware. You have to be cognizant. You have to be surrounded. You have to, and as we know, in order to understand any any philosophical concept that is supposed to express itself in a relationship with God, you have to be exposed to it. So God says, come, come, Adam Kir Kriv Mikem. And you beautifully presented a nice synopsis of the various karbanot that are presented in a very interesting order. Right? They're not just the various karbanot that we have the option of giving, the Ola, the Mencha, the Shlamim, the Chatat, and the Asham. The order itself is very significant. The Ola, the Mencha, the Shlamim, in particular, being what we call karbanot nidava. You don't have to bring them. They're voluntary. These are voluntary. They're expressions of different life experiences. Ola being linked to the idea of Re'iyah. Right? I want, I want to see God. I want a relationship with God for kapara, for ratzon. I, I want to also expiate myself at times before God. That's the ola. I say today, you know, the same idea. What happens when I miss a tvila? Right? It's not as if I, I have transgressed a sin, right? I'd lost rather, I lost an opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the ola, that's what you would bring an ola, as if to say, Hashem. I want to take advantage of every opportunity of kirva, giving us a sense that the mikdash is a means through which, as Hashem stated explicitly, betocham. I want to create my space within your space. Basically, I created the world. I created it as a space for humankind, for literally all of creations. And now Hashem says, I want a little space in your space, right? I want to create that mikdash. Again, the the transcendent into the imminent, and by bringing these korbanot, we are creating kedusha. Is that the is that where we're getting at? No, we're responding to kedusha. Mm. We're responding to God. We still don't know what this we is. We still don't know what it is exactly, no. which is so exciting mm-hmm. and uh, and alluring. And basically, I want to get to know what kedusha is. So you know what? I'm going to bring my korban ola. And Mincha, I love Karvan Mincha, not only because you said it's the beginning. Many years ago, you remember Shani, that? Yeah, I, I was in that workshop in Kamal Beautiful. Shabbat. And you made all of them, the uh, Marcheshet yes. and the Machvat, and uh, the Mafet Hanur, beautiful, Rikiki <laughs> Matzot. And it really is exciting because on one hand, it is an expression of the Nidava, 
And it even, even within my voluntary bringing of this agricultural korban, which really represents not so much the, I would say, the, the basic idea of God who infuses life. That's more the ola, right? A recognition that God provides for life. The mincha is God sustains life. And whenever I want to express that and recognize that my sustenance is entirely dependent on Hashem, I'll bring a karban mincha. And when I want to thank Hashem and share the celebrations and the gratitude and salvation with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, then I'll bring my shlamim. And each one, if we had more time to really delve a little more into what the particular expressions, but Rav Yol Benun points out something very interesting, albeit there are many laws, very technical data and information that we have. If you bring an olad, it has to be from a zachar, from these type of animals and fowl and Again, shlamim can be uh, the uh, zachar or the nekeva, the mincha can be brought as the mafetanur, the marcheshet, the machvat, all different choices that you have. At the same time, on one hand, there are very clear directives. On the other hand, there really is latitude, which already tells us that on one hand, Vayikra begins with Adam Kiyakriv, God encouraging us to come to the Mikdash so that we can begin to delve into this concept of Kedusha. And at the same time, recognize that it's a very robotic type of relationship on one hand, but allows for a certain level of freedom of expression on the other hand. I mean, Shani, it sounds also like you're just speaking about halacha right now, meaning this is a is a physical expression of a halachic life. The concept then, especially as we see the continuation of the karbanot, the chatat and the asham, as you mentioned, those are not voluntary. Those are our chuvah. Those are going to be required sacrifices. So we see even there, there's almost this tension between this freedom of expression and a certain responsive, right? I also just want to jump in and, and explain to our listeners that when you, when the average person reads the, the psukim in this Parsha, you don't come out necessarily with a clear sense of who's bringing what. Meaning when you're explaining now, and it seems very clear that this is this kind of offering and it's for this kind of emotional tenor, that these are things that the commentators really struggle with trying to understand what is the function of each of the of the sacrifices some of them seem similar to one another and what is the the emotional tenor or what when is that moment in life that you bring that sacrifice you're explaining in a way that is very clear but i just want to bridge that gap for our audience who's listening that when you read the psukim it's not necessarily so clear what they're meant for unless you're very sensitive to the words unless you realize that there are certain words that appear consistently by certain karbanot right. you hear a lot of l'ratzon l'chaper by the ola you hear by the mincha, the fact that it's a minchat ola, it somehow resembles the ola, but it also is going to be rooted in, mm-hmm. uh, in the idea of sustenance at the same time. Shlamim, you hear even the notion of shalom. So you're 100% correct that the parshanim are going to elaborate on this and at the same time explain how the karban itself expresses these different emotions and life experiences, but they're rooted in the words of the text itself, which is fascinating that we really do have different, not just animals, offerings, different expressions of life experiences. All those who don't relate to Karbanot, I love how Professor Yoni Grossman tells uh, students, he says, look, you know, you're going to recite them in the morning after Brachot HaShachar, and people will think to themselves, I may know, you know, these psukim by heart, but really, I can't even bring these Karbanot. What does it mean? Unishama parim sfateno. He says beautifully, Maybe just choose the ones that you're feeling. You're, you're, you now, you just celebrated your daughter's bat mitzvah, so bring your shlamim, meaning say the parsha of the shlamim. 
you realize that you've distanced yourself from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even just by being negligent, mm-hmm. say the Chatat, right? This would be an opportunity to bring a Karban Chatat. You, uh, you really feel that you've distanced yourself in a much more, not just negligent, but you uh, have... Uh, Cut yourself off a little from God. Maybe it's time for an asham. And all of these truly expressing, on one hand, the idea of relating to God through these experiences, and at the same time, actually responding to God and the mandates of Hashem. So there really is a tension that Parshat Vayikra opens up that is then going to be explored stage by stage, whether it's Parshat Sav that reintroduces all the karbanot, but now talks about it from the perspective of the kohanim. I love teaching them, you know, side by side, and almost as if you have two cameramen, you know, one following the Adam HaMakriv, the one who's bringing the sacrifice, and the other following the kohen, who's going to accept the sacrifice. So for him, all the karbanot are chuvah. He is accepting all of them. Now the question is, how does he sacrifice it to Hashem? What is going to be the response, really, to what the one who's bringing the sacrifice base once again on mandates of Hashem. And this is going to be most manifest when we reach Parshat Shmini, introducing the Yom Hashmini, bringing us back to Mamat Harsinai, bringing us back to that moment of a divine revelation, of the manifestation of the Shekhinah, re-experiencing this theophany. So when Moshe Rabbeinu tells Aaron in front of all of Am Yisrael, this is the day that Hashem Nerai Lechem, we're all so excited because now we're going to see the whole function of the Mikdash, albeit Sefer Vayikra begins with a Kriya, just like Moshe Rabbeinu go, going on top of Harsinai with a Kriya, with a call to Hashem to this inner sphere of Ol Moed, and the entire Sefer is going to be God's word to Moshe without repetitions, right? It's not Moshe then told B'nai Israel. This is God's word. These are God's mandates. And now Moshe Rabbeinu says, now it's going to be manifest. I told you what you're going to do once you have a Mikdash. We've already basically started the inauguration. Now you're going to hear about how you're going to inaugurate the Mikdash to see how Hashem is going to come in your midst. And we're all so excited, especially as the fire comes from uh, from the Kodesh Kodeshim or from Shamayim and the people, most of the Parshanim explaining, they're ecstatic. Their relationship with God has been restored. And then comes really a turning point in Sefer Vayikra. Then Nadav and Abihu take their machtot and they bring the Ish Zara Asher Lo Tziva Otam. And all the Parshanim debate exactly what does this mean? They took from the wrong coals, the wrong mizbech, they went lefnai velefnim. And Ibn Ezra says very simply, asher lo tziva otam. What they did was beautiful. The problem is, within the context of Ayikra, it's not beautiful because God hadn't, I'll even add the word yet, commanded them. And this is really the essence then of the beginnings of learning what Kedusha is all about. Kedusha is the presence of God in this world, which is why, going back to Sefer Breshit, we only can have Kedusha after there are seven days or six days of Riyata Olam. So now that Hashem is going to be manifest through the Mikdash, now we hear that Nadav and Abihu did something wrong by virtue of the fact that they initiated instead of responding to the presence of God. But God is basically saying, this is my sphere, this is my domain. And if you want to relate to me, Adam ki akriv mekem, go back to Parshat Vayikra. You listen to the mandate. You want to bring an Ola? This is how you bring an Ola. I never told you to bring Ketoret like this. And there are all different explanations why Hashem didn't tell them to bring Ketoret right now. He didn't want a Mechitza. He didn't want a division on this Yom Hashmini, on the Day of Revelation. Whatever the case may be, Asher lo And that conception 
the opposite of Kodesh is not Chol, it's Zar. Beautiful. Which is even more, meaning what happens right after so that Kodesh scene? Kodesh is to be connected and Kod Zar is to be disconnected. Or you're saying commanded or, or uncommanded. Excellent. Kol HaKavod. Isn't that amazing? Through the mm-hmm. context of the Psukim, one can already extrapolate that very clearly. Zar means not commanded. When one worships Avodah Zarah, by the way, one mm. can either be worshiping a God that you're not commanded, or you can even be worshiping God in a manner that God never commanded. That's Zarah. Now right. Hashem says, wait a second, what do I see from this? That you really don't understand what Kedusha is. We we're waiting, all of us, from the beginning of Vayikra to the call of Hashem, come to the Mikdash, and now just wait. As soon as it's inaugurated, you're going to be able to get a sense of what a Mikdash is all about. Hashem says, time out. Mishael and Al-Tafan remove the, uh, the corpses of Nadav and Abiyo, and then Hashem says, literally, time out. Now I have to teach you, Lahavdil ben HaKodesh uven HaChol uven HaTamei uven HaTahor. That's the portion that comes after the death of Nadav and Abiyo. Exactly. Just a few psukim after. And what is the significance of that? That really, now one can ask, why didn't Sefer Baker just begin that way? And the whole point is that Halavai, that we should have learned it on our own through the Mikdash, Hashem says, okay, this can't happen anymore. And therefore, now Hashem is going to teach us and notice the smile on my face because now for the first time we have a broader context of these very amorphous terms. Wait, before you jump into that, this, I would have to think about the language uh, more in depth, but it also brings us back to Adam Arishon because it, a little bit you feel like it was bound to happen, meaning that this mistake was bound to happen. And also Adam Arishon, I wouldn't call it a setup, but meaning you're put into a world with those kind of conditions and it was bound to happen, but it was also feels like it's bound to happen. It needed to be, meaning needed. there needed to be That's what I was waiting mistake, for you to say. needed to be sort of a, a violation of boundaries for us to then continually sort of define what this concept is. And so. I'm smiling because, as I'm sure you know, there are many midrashim that relate exactly to this. Mm-hmm. It was a necessary prerequisite to understand what the presence of God in the Mikdash is all about. Very similar to uh, the Rambam's understanding of Chet Adam Harishon, the notion of Chet, very similar to the Hasida concept. You know, Rav Tadok, who talks about this all the time, the uh, first set of Luchot versus the second set of Luchot. Yeah. We needed Shvirat Luchot mm-hmm. in order to be able to live with God in this world. So now we have the context of Lahavdil bin Hakodoshu bin Hachol. So chol, I still don't know what Kedusha is, but I know what chol is. Chol is not a negative term. Chol is a very neutral term, right? Today is, uh, what day of the week? <laughs> Are we in Today a, is lost Tuesday. Track? It's a Tuesday. Tuesday, that's right. It's already the evening. So, or Liam Rabi, mm-hmm. but, but Tuesday. And so do you mind if I ask you, Yosefa? Sure. That, are, you, are you having a, a very good day in the sense of, do you feel connected to God today? I, I do, honestly. That's beautiful. Is that Excellent. okay? Is that the uh, right answer? I, 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 <laughs> there, there is no right or wrong answer, but yeah. I, I definitely am very happy. And uh, I feel fulfilled just hearing that you feel a relationship with God today. Do you mind if I ask how? Like, how is your relationship with God being expressed today? So this morning I taught a kala. Beautiful. And, uh, and all relationship conversations to me always connect back to to the holiest parts of ourselves. 
And we're um, going to get back to that also. Okay. Beautiful. And then I sat Love with languages. a dear friend who I haven't seen in a long time, and that's also goes back a different kind of relationship, but it's to connect with people who also, to me, deeply infuse me with spirit, meaning it's seeing people with deep spirit and, and gaining that from them and sharing it together. Uh, and now we're sitting in a woman's baby trash. So <laughs> to me, it's sort of the combination of the best of the entire world. And I get to call it my Tuesday. So I, I'm feeling connected. Connectically more <laughs> beautiful. So notice through uh, your own experiences of relationships, but especially relationships of Torah right here in the Beit Midrash, you know, through Tzvilah, through acts of Chesed, right? We, we feel that we're expressing a relationship with God. And yet, if you were just sitting here, do you mind if I ask in front of you know this recorder, twiddling your thumbs all day, even if you were meditating about God, would you actually have a relationship with God? No. Exactly. No. Whereas here is a fundamental concept of Kedusha. If you were sitting here on Shabbat, and according to most Parshanim, you recognize that it was Shabbat. So you said Kiddush, you recognize today is Shabbat, and then you just sat down and would twiddle your thumbs. Not that I'm recommending it, but would you be expressing a relationship with God? And the answer is yes. Because the day itself, the time itself is infused in Kedusha, which, by the way, is clearly not, you know, why you should sit down and not twiddle your thumbs. Instead, take advantage of this time with God. Sing Smirot Kodesh, engage more in Tbilan, Talmud Torah, even elevate the most physical it of activities. Kedusha because it came from God or because we, God. we recognized it? That's exactly it. So, according to the Ramban, in many persons, we have to recognize you have to that tap there in. Is. You, you have, have to, to open the invitation. In. Beautifully you have to said. Open the you have to open it, but it mm-hmm. comes from God. And you said that beautifully. God is the one who invites. And therefore, the Mikdash is also God's turf. And Shabbat is God's turf that mm-hmm. he shares with us, that he invites us to join in. Ultimately, as we know also from Parsha Kitisa, is an oat. But this is God's, or these are God's mandates. That's Kodesh versus Chol. Chol is something neutral. Kedusha is something, you may call it, elevated, or you already said it beautifully, it's the expression of a relationship with God. God says, I am now going to, after creating the world, I'm going to create literally a space for myself within this world in the dimension of time with you, in the dimension of sphere of space, and in the dimension of people. That Hashem relates specifically Kedusha, and there are many halachic expressions of this, that Kedusha exists between God and the people of Israel. Right? There's no kedusha to other nations by virtue of the, of the fact that Hashem says, I infused you with the capability of this relationship. In which case, by the way, chol is not the opposite of kedusha. Mm-hmm. The opposite of kedusha would be halal, which is so perfect because halal, even in the vernacular, means a, a vacuum. An emptiness. In other words, it was filled with kedusha. It had the potential for kedusha. And then I consciously turned the light on on Shabbat. What did I do? I removed the expression or the potential for that relationship with God. And now what's left is nothing, is emptiness. I took uh, the nishama is gone. The kedushat kohen that was defiled right, is no longer there. So the child is left a halal. I guess I also am curious in relation to the word um, tahara. How do you know? That's exactly. <laughs> and, and you can't not ask that because in the same pasuk, the Torah says, So I think what happens is that people just confuse them and think, okay, it's a, I don't know, to pull it near defet, but it clearly is not because these are different words, different concepts. We're going to see throughout Sefer Vayikra, they're used in different ways. So albeit many people define Tum'ah as 
defilement and tahara is purity with all these different connotations of hygiene and cleanliness. Really, these are divine terms. Tumah being a technical limitation of going to the mikdash and not necessarily negative, right? By virtue of the fact that we can't always live in a state of mikdash, in a state of kedusha, in a state of this intense relationship with God. And tahara is the availability to come to the mikdash. Well, we can always live in a state of kedusha. So we can, at this point in Sefer Vayikra, no, only coming to the Mikdash. And there are limitations on that based on the mandates of God. And this is what's remarkable about Sefer Vayikra. First, we have to understand what the intense relationship with God is based on the Mikdash. And then comes the second half of Sefer Vayikra, which uh, all of a sudden, from all the laws related to the Mikdash, jumps to laws beyond the Mikdash. First, speaks about all different behaviors that we have to stay away from. The Chukot of the Goyim, the Arayot which uh, is a whole cultural idea that or practices that Hashem says, stay away from those, and then comes Kedoshim Tihiyu Kikadoshani. Then Hashem says, now I want you to take this idea of a relationship with God, and now it's no longer just going to be limited to the Mikdash. And this is so phenomenal. All these ideas of Kedushat Hamakom, that we see uh, through uh, prakim such as parakutsai, and you can slaughter even in your backyard, and then vacuum pack it and bring a korban to the mikdash. The holiness of place, uh, mm-hmm. excellent, and the holiness of man, and the Torah koanim parshatzav, the holiness of person, the holiness of time. We hear of certain times that I have to uh, sacrifice and uh, finish uh, eating uh, my, uh, you know, uh, whether the kohen finishes eating it by the next morning or shlamim. You can combine his time and your time. You have uh, the two days to eat the uh, the korbana. So also I have the sanctification of God mandates of time, place, and people. The second half of Sefer Vayikra, Hashem says, Now that you know that I'm the source of Kedusha, I want you to imitate that. I want you to infuse your lives with, uh, again, Kedusha, with a relationship with God, even beyond the Mikdash. And that's why it's so phenomenal. And on one hand, many high schools, they teach us, Sefer Bayikra, starting from Parakutet, which on one hand makes a lot of sense because that's going to be how we take this concept of Kedusha and translate it into, into our, our lives beyond the lives. Mikdash. Mm-hmm. Be beautiful, but you don't really understand it until you appreciate that it's rooted in God-mandated law. And therefore, it's all from Ohal Mo'ed. So it's going to manifest itself, certainly Kedoshim to you, in the realm of sanctification of man. We can sanctify ourselves and through our behaviors. Then we have Parshat Emor, sanctify time. Who's going to sanctify time now? Hashem says these are the times of historical and agricultural significance, but you have to sanctify them. Elo. This time, you're going to be the ones to infuse time as relating to God. And uh, certainly, Hashem says, now a relationship with me is not only going to be manifest in an intense way through Hashem's turf of the Mikdash, but now it's going to be through the entire Eretz Yisrael. And lastly, we have the laws of hektesh, of erchim, of vows and, and evaluations, wherein I can take this table, I can take this microphone, and I can sanctify it to the mikdash. So the same parsha, parshat vayikra, that began with God says, okay, you want to come to me to the mikdash? Here are the rules. Here are the animals. Here are the species that you bring. By the end of Sefer Vayikra, Hashem says, you can bring anything that you want. Dedicate anything in your lives to God. Except, by the way, for things that God already mandated you have to bring, whether it's the Vachor, whether it's Maser, whether it's Chirim. But Hashem basically says, come, come. Now that you've learned what this concept of 
a relationship, an intense relationship with God is about, now I want you to infuse your lives with it and live with God even beyond the Mikdash. It also really throws me to, I think, a general piece that we see in so many places in the Torah where God has a very heavy hand in the way the world is created and run, but he always hands a baton over time, Israel. And we saw that very deeply also, even with the creation of the Mishkan, meaning the the emphasis on God commands it, but then man has to has to do it himself. Um, whenever I teach Sefer Breshit, I always speak about sort of the God continually pulls back in Sefer Breshit. It's a general theme that 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 comes up there. Um, that by the time you get to the Yosef story, God almost doesn't exist unless man invokes him in the story. Um, and that's really the idea I think that you're expressing here is that it's a relationship, but God puts the instructions. The instruction manual is there. The print is super clear, but ultimately it's going to be up to us to, to, to create that relationship and to bring God in. Certainly in a world where we don't have a Mikdash. Beautiful. And we aren't able to exercise those rules in that space. And I think it's even beyond double causality that we see in so many different stories, you know, as they develop throughout the the narratives of Tanakh, because Kedusha really is a divine term. It's the presence of God. And therefore, it's not just about Hashem handing us the baton. It's Hashem saying, I want that relationship. Kedusha then is the word that's used consistently throughout Tanakh for what a relationship with God in this world is all about. And Hashem says, I started it, just as you mentioned, I created it, and I never left, meaning I'm here, and it's for you in a more symbiotic way, meaning it begins with more responsive, more robotic, more mechanic, and then the second half of Ayikra is, now I want you to exercise, you know, to, for you to be involved in this relationship. Shani, I want to thank you for this conversation. I'm thank sure you. that everybody has been given a tremendous amount to think about and to process, and a wonderful starting point as we begin learning the Book of Vayikra. So thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. I'm Dr. Yosefa Fogel-Rubel, and this is One-on-One Women Talk Torah, a series brought to you by Matan Women's Institute for Torah Study. Please do one-on-one and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new listeners. You can stream and download these episodes on Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Matan's website. Don't forget to leave us a five-star review in the comments. Please send us any feedback at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you.